0: So, we're going to have a special couple, special speaker, Isaac and Isabel Thill. I love it that this church (laughs) raises up missionaries and raises up people who are going to be evangelists right from their own church. Isaac and Isabel are full-time YWAM missionaries. And uh, since 2021, I believe, he's currently a missionary with YWAM in Montana in, was it Lakeside, Montana? Lakeside, Montana. Give your boy a good welcome here. Amen. Wow. Well, this is, this is a, I don't know if every time I come and come back here and I'm given the privilege and the honor to speak, it feels like a, like a full circle moment. Uh, he said, um, he mentioned how we are full time missionaries, but I started. Uh, pretty much here. When I was 11, I came here to Calvary. Back when it was Calvary Temple uh, over on Kearney Ave, started then, and here we are now. Now I'm the one that I watched every Sunday on the on the stage. So it just it feels like this crazy, surreal, full circle moment. So I am so deeply honored, uh, and, and I consider it a very great privilege to uh, be given the opportunity to share with you, and. I, I really wanted, I don't know, I wanted to start off a little bit differently than I had planned. We have a video that, uh, that I want to show, but I wanted to start off, uh, the, the, there was, when we were worshiping, there was two things that really came upon my heart as we were worshiping to the song. So I want to start off with just reading John 1.1. We we're talking about uh, Yahweh will manifest himself. God will manifest himself. Uh, Shaddai will manifest Rapha, Rafa, Jireh, all, right? All of these things. And it says in John 1.1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It goes on in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And what I really felt uh, to, I just on my heart as we, were, as we were worshiping is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, like we're, we're going, we're, I'm gonna share with you about the significance, spoiler alert, the significance and the importance of being in your word. But we have also been given the word. We've been given the, we've been given the Bible, but the word, Jesus, who was given to us. He came and dwelt among us. The God that wanted to dwell with his people in the Old Testament, so much so that he gave them, he gave them instructions on in how to build a tabernacle, how to build a temple, so that he can dwell with them and they can dwell with him. That same God came and dwelt among us. Oh, I, I just, I, I love, and I think that, I don't know, I feel like I could almost just go off on that for the remainder of the time. (laughs) He became flesh and dwelt among us. And the second thing I really felt was when we said, I believe in the resurrection. I think that that line, I think that song is so, so, so good. Because I think it's so good to remind ourselves of what it is that we believe in and the resurrection is actually the hope in which we are saved. In Romans chapter 8, 23 and 24, it talks about all creation is groaning with us until the redemption of the sons of God, the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope in which we are saved. Christ's return and our the redemption of our bodies is the hope in which we are saved. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it's one of my favorite passages, if not my favorite passage of the New Testament. It it says this in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? That is the hope in which we are saved. That is why we are here. That is why I am up here. That is why Isabel and I do what we do. It's because the hope of the resurrection. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he didn't just dwell among us, he gave himself up and died for us. But he didn't just die for us, he rose again to give us the same hope of resurrection when he returns. Oh, Jesus, we are so grateful for your sacrifice. We are so grateful that you gave up your divine privileges and came and dwelt among us. Fully God and fully man. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you give us hope far beyond this life. You give us hope for eternity when the perishable puts on the imperishable and death is swallowed up in victory. We thank you for that. Oh, we are so grateful. Yes, I, Isabel and I, we both staff the nine-month Bible school. That is a part of the training. That is a part of the ending Bible poverty now. Part of ending Bible poverty. What is Bible pover- Bible poverty. It's a it's a, um, a movement to get a Bible into every heart language. Every person in the world would have a Bible that they can read in their own mother tongue. But that's just one aspect of it. Another aspect is Bible engagement, which means people need to know how to read the Bible. If you don't know how to read the Bible then it, it, it loses so much of its richness because you don't know the different connections. You don't know the different things that you need to know to, in order to know God even more. So we are part of the training aspect of YOM. And so we teach in the nine-month Bible school. We'll get a little bit more into that. But for those of you, again, who don't know me, I am Isaac. Uh, Isaac Till, my wife in the brown dress, uh, Isabel, and we both staff that school. Uh, we have been in YWAM for about three or so years, uh, four now. Uh, in 2019, we both did our, that first school, that three months of training followed by two and a half months of outreach in a foreign nation. We did that back in 2019, and now we have been staffing the Bible school for the past couple months. And we are here um, to to fundraise. We have realized that uh, in Montana, it, there there are some expenses that are more expensive than other parts of the country. So we are looking to raise three hundred dollars more per month in monthly recurring donations. But we also are uh, so appreciative of. Any one-time gifts you may feel led to give. So that's all I'm going to talk about for money. That is, that is a huge reason why we're here. But also I want to share with you an exhortation of staying in your word. So I want to ask you a question. I want to start off with a question. What does your heart burn for? What does your heart burn for? Take a couple seconds and think about what is it that my heart burns for? I think a lot of times we can, we can, we can think about it and say, oh, my, I, I come alive when I go and, and I'm hunting. I come alive when I'm just sitting in creation, sitting in my blind, or if you like to push, uh, pushing deer. I, I, I come alive when I'm in the woods by myself or with my son or whatever. I come alive. Or others might say, I come alive when I'm out on the boat and we're wakeboarding. Or we're out tubing. We're we're uh, sitting in the floaty, uh, uh, the lazy river of Tundra Lodge. That's where I come alive—just water, relaxation, and good company. I think those are all. I think those are all good things. But I think there's also an alternate, uh, opposing reality that the that the culture is trying to put on us. The culture is trying to tell us to to be passionate and to burn for no. You are you. You only need to care about you. You do you. All, all this self focusedness You need to be so passionate and fired up about you do you and being your own person. I think the Bible actually has a lot to say about that. That you are not actually your own person. You've been bought with a price, but that's a that's a whole separate you know sermon but i think the culture can can have a lot of you need to burn for this you need to burn for this you need to go after this and this and this and it's ever shifting ever changing and i think that actually the bible has an alternate an alternate topic or thing that it would call us to burn for because what our hearts burn for what we love is what we will become like. What we love directly correlates to who we are. There's a great book called You Are What You Love. So the things that you take on, the things that you spend your time in, those are the things that will actually come out of you. What you take on will be what comes out. So what you burn for directly correlates to who you are. So we're gonna be spending uh, today, this morning, late morning in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to treat this a little bit like I would in SBS. That's the nine-month Bible school that we do, the School of Biblical Studies, because YWAM loves acronyms. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach a little bit like I would in the classroom setting. We always start off in the SBS, we always start off with giving background to the book so that you have a little bit of context of how how do you approach what's going on in this specific chapter. How do you approach what's going on in this specific book? So we're in the book of Luke written by Dr. Luke. You can find that in Colossians 4. It says that Luke, the good physician, so he he's a Gentile doctor. What's, oh, Gentile, what is that? It's anybody that's not Jewish. So I'm going to take a guess that at least 95% of us fall within that category of non-Jewish lineage and heritage. So, Gentiles, written to people who weren't part of the Old Testament Israelite people, written to Gentiles, written by a Gentile. Uh, Specifically, Luke and Acts are part of a two-volume book written to Theophilus. There's a lot of speculation about who Theophilus is, but the general uh, consensus is Theophilus is a high-ranking Roman official. Roman would be Gentile, which is interesting because it's not just written to Theophilus, it's written to Gentiles as a whole, but not just any specific Gentile in Theophilus, a high-ranking Roman official. Which becomes quite interesting when you see that Luke actually really emphasizes the outcasts, the downtrodden, the people in society that would be considered less than. He really emphasizes their stories. You'll find in Luke chapter 8, at the beginning of it, it's titled, "'The Women Who Accompanied Jesus.'" And yeah, the other Gospels will talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, that, that kind of thing. But Luke really emphasizes there's a lot of women. There's a lot of women that, that follow Jesus. There's, a lot of the stories are about women. A lot of the stories are about how you treat outcasts. A lot of the, a lot of the stories are about the, the lame, the blind, the lepers, all of those things. So it, it really emphasizes the outcast to a high-ranking Roman official who at that time would have been the top of the top. And Luke writes it to him, emphasizing the bottom of the bottom. Perhaps there's some sort of, Luke is trying to show, actually, we're all in need of grace. We're all in need of this Jesus that came and died and rose again. But that's kind of like the the very general background. Typically, we'll go, you know, 30 minutes into specific backgrounds. But Luke 24, last chapter of Luke, the, the heading in the Bible is the resurrection. So if there's the resurrection right before this would have come what the death the betrayal the, the sorrow the crucifixion all of those emotions all of those things and it's building up to chapter 24 when Jesus raises rises from the dead the resurrection and this is where we're at in chapter 24 so in the first in the first paragraph 1 through uh, verses 1 through 12 Uh, it says on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away. They did not find Jesus in there. They found angels. They were kind of freaked out. They went to the disciples and said, hey, he's not there. And it says Peter went and he marveled, but it doesn't say that he believed. So we're going to kind of trace that theme a little bit as the time goes on. So but the big thing I think that to emphasize is in chapter 24, it mentions Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. So again, it's this emphasis on women. Why? Why do you keep emphasizing women? Hmm. Those are good questions to ask. And the point of why I even say that, of the emphasizing women, the emphasizing the outcast and the downtrodden, is because I want, what I want to encourage you, what I want you to come away with from this morning, is a curiosity for the word of God. You can ask questions of why does he mention a bunch of women when the other gospel accounts don't? Why does he do that? uh, My greatest desire is that you would have uh, a desire to to be curious about the text after this morning. We'll see if I accomplish that goal or not. But in any case, we're going to move on. Uh, we're in verse 13 now. That very day, two of them were going on the road to Emmaus. A lot of you may have heard of this story, the road to Emmaus. And what I think is very, what I think is very interesting is Jesus comes alongside and he pretends like he has no idea what's going on. He just acts like a like a casual dude. And you know, I, I think I think there's a there's an interesting aspect to this of why why did Jesus come alongside them? and pretend like he had no idea what had happened? Why did he come alongside and just, just walk with them instead of revealing himself like, hello, here I am, I'm resurrected? Why did he do that? And I think, I think that question might be answered in verse 19. They're talking about, or verse 18, they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they say concerning Jesus of Nazareth. So earlier in the gospel account, Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? He, the people, what do the people say? What do the, the scribes and f- the Pharisees say? But then he asks, who do you say that I am? So I wonder, perhaps, if the reason that he doesn't reveal himself, and like, hello, here I am, is I wonder if he wants to hear what they really think when they don't have, when, when they, when he's, uh, when they don't believe that he's resurrected. Just a thought. So he asked, what things they say concerning Jesus of Nazareth? And in verse 20, how our chief priests delivered him to be condemned to death. Verse 21, but we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The one to redeem Israel. If you don't know, I won't spend too much time on more background, but Israel has been under foreign rule for close to 600 years. They, they were exiled in the Old Testament because they were disobedient to God's rules and his standards. And when they came back from exile, when they, when they came back from banishment, they were constantly under foreign rule. But they had all of these promises that God was going to bring redemption. God was going to bring them back to the land and reinstate the kingdom and do all these amazing things under the Messiah. So their anticipation is this earthly kingdom. Right? So we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He would be the one to take back the promised land from the Romans. But what I find so beautiful is actually they, they, they see this almost in a defeated tone. Like we had hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel. But I think the beautiful thing is that Jesus actually did redeem. Just not the physical aspect of the, of the, of the land, But he redeemed something so much more precious, so much more important. He redeemed them from the slavery of sin and sinfulness. Uh, So then it goes on in verse 24. Verse 24 Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, I I think that this is awesome. How cool would it have been to sit in on this? How cool would it have been to sit in on this conversation where beginning with the law and the prophets, he explains to them all the things concerning himself. And I think like, wow, like in all of history, there's, I think there's few conversations that I would have liked to to sit in on more than that conversation on the road to Emmaus where he just opens up like this was about me, this was about me, this was about me. And this, this actually points to something very, very important. Is that the law and the prophets, essentially the entire Old Testament, has Christ all throughout it. So, why, why, am I, why am I emphasizing this? Why am I emphasizing the law and the prophets? Because the Old Testament points to Jesus. And the New Testament points back to Jesus. The entire story of the Bible, is the, and its pinnacle, its zenith, the, the crux of it is Jesus, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the pinnacle of the Word. He is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. Everything's looking forward to, the Old Tes- to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ. Christ is in all the scriptures, the law and the prophets. Oh, Leviticus? Christ is in Leviticus? What? Numbers? Christ is in the first 10 chapters of Numbers? What in the world? Exodus, the last half, where it's just talking about the tabernacle and it gives all these measurements and the curtains and the pomegranates and all these things. Christ is in that? Yes, Christ is in the Old Testament. Because all of it points to him. So the, uh, what, what we do, what I do in the SBS when I teach, is I will, I will go in 20-minute chunks. Uh, I, will, I will talk for 20 minutes. And because after that, you kind of just get uh, sick of the same old, same old sometimes, I, give a, I, I will give a prompt. So we're going to do that. And I want you to talk with the person next to you, or if you're in a group of three, those three people. What conversation in history would you most have liked to sit in on? Any conversation in history. So take two minutes and talk with your neighbors about that. righty, I would love... If you feel uh, the courage to, to shout out, what was your answer to what conversation you'd like to hear most in history? Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. Wow. One of her rallying battle speeches? Oh, absolutely. The Transfiguration. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Any others? Oh, sorry, what was that? I still didn't quite catch that. Glory. Glory. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any others? Parting of the Red Sea, the resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the garden before the fall. That would have been, when walking in the cool of the day. Oh, yes. Yeah. The Last Supper, yeah, what, what were the things besides like John 16 and 17, what were the things besides that that Jesus said? The things that aren't recorded, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think all of these are awesome, all of these are great. And I agree with just, I think every single one of them I think would be, oh yeah, that's, that would be really cool too. But I would, I would like to humbly suggest to you that perhaps the most important conversation that you you could listen in on is actually the conversation that the Lord wants to have with you through reading his word. He has so much he wants to say to you, so much that he wants to speak to you through his word, through the text that he's given to reveal himself. He has so much he wants to say. And I would suggest that Although all of those things are awesome, and I, I also would love to listen on those conversations, perhaps the most significant ones will be the ones with you on your couch with the Lord reading the word of God. So I... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to move on in, in, into the, the rest of chapter 24, but I really want, I really want you to ruminate on that. Why... Why would, I, why would I think that going somewhere else in history would be more significant than spending time with the almighty creator of the universe? What could be better than hearing what he would have to say? So Luke chapter 24, we're in verse 28. They drew near to the village which they, to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, no, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and, they, and he vanished from their sight. So a question that I had when I read this was, why was he revealed in the breaking of the bread? Why was it that when he did broke it, blessed it, and gave it to them that their eyes were opened? Why was that? I'm not actually going to give my thoughts because I I don't I don't I think so oftentimes when it comes to Bible study, we can just take someone else's thoughts and say, yes, that's what that's what I think, without actually going after it ourselves. So I would encourage you to think why was Jesus revealed in the breaking of the bread? Maybe a helpful thing to look at is, where else did he break bread? Where else did he break bread and bless it? When's the last time he did that? Things like that to spark your curiosity. Ask questions about what what does the Bible mean? In verse 32, it says, And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We're going to come back to this but I think, it, I, I think it's so, so, I wish there was a better word than cool, but I think it's so cool how they said, did not our hearts burn? Like, although our, although our minds and our brains did not comprehend that it was Christ walking with us, revealing himself in these scriptures, our hearts burned. Like we, we knew, but we didn't know. Their hearts knew when their brains hadn't fully realized it. And then in verse 42, it says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Because they're like, whoa, who is this? He's like, "Uh, oh, calm down, it's me. Check out the holes, I'm right here. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it, he took it and ate it before them. Again, why? Why does he ask for something to eat? Why do they give him a broiled fish and why does he take it and eat it before? Like, why is that included in the story? I feel like it could have just been like he appeared, and they said, "Oh," and he said, "Hey," and they 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 all had hugs. But it says he it, it talks about this fish. So in in these couple of verses that we've looked at, it talks about bread and fish. Why why would it be talking about bread and fish in his appearance after his resurrection to the disciples? Maybe where else in Luke have we seen bread? And fish; Those are the types of things that, that I want to encourage you to ask, to, to, to think about. Where else have I seen this? Have I seen this before? And then lastly, in verses 44 through 48, it says, Then he said, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Okay, so there's stuff about Jesus in the Psalms. Very interesting. Must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Again, Christ is all throughout the scriptures. The entire Old Testament points to him but they also have a duty and a response to it. It's awesome that Christ is in the scriptures and that everything points to him and all of those things are awesome and they're so cool. But they and we have a response to it, that we would go and proclaim, like the video that I showed said, that we would go into all the world, into all nations, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. And it says it started in Jerusalem. Remember that redemption of Israel idea that that we were gonna look at. He actually redeems Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where he suffered and died and was all rejected. But here it says, no, this is the place where the kingdom is going to start. It's going to start here and go out and it's gonna become known as the place where the kingdom of God began. That is Jerusalem. That's what he will do. He actually doesn't redeem physical Israel, but he will redeem the world from their sin and their sinfulness. But I want to hone in on three verses. Verses 27, verses 32, and 44. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Christ is in the scriptures ready and waiting to be found. And he actually will open up our minds to understand them. We see that in verse 40, uh, sorry, uh, in verse 46 five yes verse 45 he opened their minds to understand the scriptures so we actually need his help in order to even approach the scriptures we need his help and he's ready and waiting to be found so i think the call to us is one of what does our heart burn for what does our heart burn Would our hearts burn to read his word and meet him as we study, as he opens up our minds to study the scriptures? Would our hearts burn within us as we're encountering him? Just as the disciples on the road to Emmaus said our hearts were burning. We didn't know why, but now we do because we met Jesus in the scriptures. Would we be disciples in the 21st century that our hearts would burn to encounter him in his word? Where our hearts burn within us to encounter him in the scriptures. Because even if our, even if our brains don't quite understand it yet, our, our hearts, when our hearts burn within us, he fills in those gaps for us. He opens our minds to understand the scripture. And this is why we do what we do. The SBS, School of Biblical Studies, nine-month Bible school. They go, where students go through the Bible four or five times, they spend thousands of hours studying it. It's on average, without without meals, without other stuff they have to do, 33 hours a week. That's almost a full-time job of only studying the Word. That's including Saturdays, not Sundays because you rest, right? But, (laughs) but, this is why we do what we do. This is why we have given our lives. Is because Christ is in the scriptures ready and waiting to be found. And he, we actually need to read the scriptures. We need to find out, find out more and to know more of who this God is because if we're gonna go to the nations, if we're gonna go to Walmart, if we're gonna go anywhere, we actually need to know who it is that we're preaching about. And how can you really know someone when you haven't spent time with him when you when you if if i was given a pamphlet of here's who isabel is why like i would be crazy to not read that oh if she's if she is mad try these things or you know that kind of, it, obviously the analogy breaks down at some point but we have we have this we have this book from the lord revealing himself revealing his heart Revealing his character, his nature, revealing our purpose, our identity can be found in his story. The story that he's been telling for thousands of years. This is why we do what we do. This is why we spend nine months every year with different students and invite them to come study the entire Bible. Because Christ is in it and he's ready and waiting to be found. And we want to encourage and come alongside students that are desiring to meet Jesus and show and show them, here's how you can study the word. Here's how you can be curious about the different parts of the text. Because the more that you see, the more, the more connections and correlations from the Old Testament to the New Testament that you find, the more exciting it actually gets. Like Adam when he when God, when he in the fall God curses the ground and says there will be thorns and thistles. The first man received the curse of thorns. Christ before he's crucified what kind of crown does he get? A crown of thorns. The thing that that was the curse on the first of humanity, Christ takes on himself the best of humanity so that the rest of humanity can be redeemed from the curse. Wow, what in the world? Thorns, thorns, craziness, right? That is just one little thing. Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, the one day where all the people's sins are forgiven and they can approach God with clean hearts, In Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews, it's saying that Jesus is the better scapegoat, he's the better priest, he's the better sacrifice, he's the better blood, he's the better covenant, he's the better veil, he's the better everything. Leviticus 16, the one time, the one day where everyone in Israel was cleansed and could approach the holy God. Jesus is that, and it's our everyday reality. How cool is that? Those are just two things that Christ fulfills. And there's an endless, endless opportunity. Christ is in the Old Testament. He's in the scriptures and he's ready and waiting to be found. I think the the encouragement and the call to us is what do our hearts burn for? What do our hearts burn for? And I don't think you getting life from hunting and fishing and wakeboarding and floating down the lazy river at Tundra Lodge, those are not bad things at all but I think there's a higher calling. There's a higher there's a higher life-giving activity and it's reading the word of God. So, super practically, what can we what can you do? If if you feel this like, "Oh man, I like I want to study the scriptures, but I don't really know a great way to go about it." I've done the same thing for years or I'm new to this, I don't know how to begin. If you come up to us, we have, a great, we have a great resource that we can give you about every book's background and what's going on and what kind, of, what kind of questions and things you should be asking. But even more directly, if that sounds a little bit too academic for you, then what I would recommend is super practically. If you're, if you're like, man, the book of Philippians sounds really awesome. Watch the Bible Project video on it. It's like eight minutes long, something like that. The Bible Project is an awesome, awesome resource. They have books, they have stuff on, they have podcasts, they have YouTube videos. Most things that you could want, they have something on it. Their their overviews of the books are awesome. Watch the Philippians video, not eight minutes, I think, something along those lines, and then read the book of Philippians and see, oh, Maybe this correlates to what they were saying about that. Maybe this correlates, and you can start making connections yourself. So watch a BioProject video, takes no more than 10 minutes, and then read the book or a portion of the book right after watching it while it's fresh in your mind. Because I think that there's an invitation to us that our hearts would burn for his word and to encounter him. Because what our hearts burn for and what we love directly correlates to who we are. We are what we love. We, take on, we, we put out what we take on. And Christ is ready and so excited to meet with you as you take on and you, and you digest the word of God. What our hearts burn for is, directly correlates to who we are and who we will become. I think the call is, will you allow that flame to kindle in your hearts? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the word and you became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you that you give us hope in the resurrection, that we have a hope beyond this life. Thank you for the scriptures, that everything points to you Everything points to you and that you can be found in the Psalms. You can be found in Leviticus. You can be found in Numbers. You can be found in all of the weird things that we don't necessarily know how you can be found in. You will open up our minds to understand the scriptures. Would you open up our minds to understand the scriptures? God, I pray that you would fill every single one of our hearts with a burning longing to spend time with you in your word.